Okay, now we got to do the countdown. So I'll count to three and then like we'll do one, two, three, clap. Okay, so get your clappers ready. One, two, three, clap. Josh. What? Never forget that you have the tools to build a life on your own terms. Forget the haters. This is Founder Quest. So our topic is customer support and how it is, how it was maybe like murdering us and eating us alive. how we're trying, eating us alive, um, mm-hmm. devouring our souls. Maybe we might be doing to fix that. Our old system, I, the system we've had for years and years, we've been using Intercom and Intercom um, puts this little widget on your website. It looks a lot like a live chat widget and just encourages people to enter in whatever problems they have. And, and then you reply to them and they can see it right in the website or they can get an email or whatever. And we really liked this when we set it up. Like years ago, we thought it was really cool because we got a ton more interaction with our customers and we're really enjoying that and everything. So why are we looking to, to change this? Like what was, what was going on? The way Intercom works in the in-app widget is it really is a chat system. So it's, it's basically live chat, right? From a user's perspective, you assume that someone's going to reply immediately if they're there. And I think like it'll say like when people are offline or something, then it'll, it'll let you email. But really like for in our day-to-day, it was kind of like whenever a support request comes in, you know, we're, we're thinking like, okay, these people, there's someone like sitting there waiting for a response. So we need to drop everything and, and answer it right now. Yeah. Like we would get people just saying like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Hi. And it's like six hours later. Hello. <laughs> hello yeah. customer. What? Yeah. The, actually the one-offs were kind of like, I might actually miss those a little bit just because like, you know, someone like just, someone just says, Hey, and then I'd often just reply with like, you know, like some emoji waving symbol or like, like, yo, in the beginning, like you said, that was really good because it put us like when we were first figuring out, out a lot of things, we were first like figuring out who our customers are. I think one of the reasons we really liked it was that it put us in much closer contact with people on a real time basis. So we could like, you know, chat back and forth and just be, you know, it gave us a little, it was a little bit more informal and we could kind of just, just talk to people. Um, and I think we've talked about that in the past on this show how that was great. That was good for like getting customer feedback and, and getting to know people. But what we found lately as we've grown and scaled is that it's begun to cause a lot of like interruptions. And I guess I would say anxiety in our day-to-day like support process, the way our support process works alongside all the other things we do. Um, and that's probably, we're going to go into that, but basically we don't have a, we didn't have a support process really, which doesn't help. Yeah. Cause when you know that somebody kind of thinks of your support system is just being this live chat thing, then there's a lot of pressure for you to respond to things super quickly. And that can be good sometimes. Like sometimes you get some really awesome wins because you're able to fix somebody's problem right away and all that. But sometimes you get bogged down in these like super intense sort of support questions. And it's really distracting to at any moment you could be pulled into one of these sort of like lengthy discussions of, of a thing. And it may or may not actually be honestly like, our system works pretty well, right? So it's honestly, a lot of times it's just some misconfiguration or something, but there's something weird going on that's sort of like preventing people from just seeing that there's some obvious misconfiguration problem. And so, it, yeah, so you just end up like going down this rabbit hole for half a day. Yeah. And those are, those are like your typical, more of your typical like customer support things. Like that's kind of what customer support is for, right? But the way we handle support at Honey Badger is, again, we're like, small, small team. 
we like to, we're a technical product, so we like to uh, give high quality support. And that usually involves supporting developers. So we are developers on support. We don't have any like dedicated support operator or anything like that at Honey Badger, which would normally be able to kind of buffer between some of the, some of the like more technical questions and the less technical questions. What happens is if you're a developer and you're trying to actually get some, you know, get development done, you know, you're like in the middle of whatever your project is, some deep thought or something, and then a support request comes in. And if you're like, if everyone's on call for that, like you're basically constantly just expecting to be interrupted throughout your day. Yeah, it's like somebody is, uh, it's like one of those like psychology experiments where they just, you know, they, they watch you as you go about your day and they, then somebody administers random shocks to you. They zap you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you never <laughs> know when it's coming. So you sort of like live in this, this state of expectation. Yeah. If customers who are listening, I don't, I don't think you guys are like electric shocks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of you are, but. <laughs> I kind of feel sometimes that like when I'm doing support, it's almost like I'm doing some whiteboard interview or something where somebody's like, okay, here's the problem and fix it, go. And you're doing this sort of like blindfolded. Like it's like you're a veterinarian and you're trying to fix some problem with an elephant, but you can only see like two inches of it at a time, right? It's like you can look at the elephant through like a rubber hose from 10 feet away and you have to ask the elephant, well, move the rubber hose over this way for yeah, a Yeah, you're bit, like, so you, you got like, move, you know, move it, move the, move it over to active record. Yeah, yeah. It's like, can you put, can you like squeeze your gym file through the rubber hose? Check the Postgres adapter. Yeah. So we don't have, obviously we don't have access to our customers code or applications. We have a history of maybe even over supporting our customers. And that's kind of like, we don't, we like to do that. Like we like to actually like, you know, sit down and like really understand what their problem is and help them, help them come up with a solution. Even if it's not necessarily like problem with Honey Badger, like a lot of times it'll end up being like, you know, Honey Badger was kind of the, it's the reason they thought there was a problem, but something's actually misconfigured in their application. And we come across a lot of these issues that seem to, you know, some of these, they seem to be similar across a lot of different applications when you're installing error tracking code. And we like to help people with that, with that stuff. But at the same time, it can be, it can be a lot of overhead and it's a lot of work too. Because our library is like, it integrates in people's applications. So and the way Ruby works is that some completely separate third-party library can come in and clobber something, and then Honey the Honey Badger library will stop working. And so the problem may be the problem isn't in our system. The problem is in, in this third-party thing, but it appears that the problem is in our system. That's one side of the support problem we have. Those kinds of deep technical tickets can come in and just you know eat half a day, basically. The other problem is the smaller requests, the ones that you mentioned, like where even sometimes it's like really cool when you can like, you know, someone chats in and within five minutes, you're able to like say, oh, hey, yeah, I fixed that. Or, you know, they, someone wanted to, you know, maybe it's like an administrative task and they chatted and you can fix it real quick and they're super happy. Every request like that that comes in though, is a context switch for whoever is responding, right? So if, you know, we're in the middle of trying to get long-term work done. And if you keep having those little micro interruptions, you know, as you know, it's like, it's creating a lot of, a lot of time out basically, because it takes time to get back into the flow and back to what you were previously working on. Yeah. Context switches are super difficult for me, especially because yeah, like it'll take me some, even for simple tickets, sometimes it'll take me 20 or 30 minutes just to sort of remember how everything works and sort of get, I'm sort of like a train. 
it takes a lot to get me going. But then once I'm going, I'm good for a while. But to, to sort of always be sort of changing direction, like trains don't change directions very easily. Anyway, so I, it makes sense that I, I uh, spent most of my career working with rails because I'm a train. <laughs> choo choo. Nice. <laughs> I love that we're like, we're talking about all these support problems and, and Ben hasn't really said much so far, but Ben basically like does most of our support if we really are honest, I think. <laughs> ben, well, I guess one of the, one of the other things we've, uh, we've been trying to work out or come up with a solution to is the information siloing that happens based on how we've organized our roles at the company. At this point, we have four developers, but even with three to four developers, like you know, we've each built specific parts of the application and we kind of own, we tend to kind of have ownership of those areas. And so when, when customers, when support requests come up that involve those parts of the application, it's, it's typically like our processes, like just to route those tickets to whoever created the code. But that kind of create, that creates a lot of like, it creates dependencies basically between like, you know, who can answer customer support requests because if it's not documented somewhere and it's the only, the information is in someone's head, our, basically our only option is to send it to that person or have them wait to, uh, till they can reply. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Cause that's like, that is a serious problem. And I've sort of struggled with that as well, because it's like, well, if I'm spending most of my time, you know, either doing front end stuff or working on like blog posts and things, I'm not say that familiar with how we process source maps like source maps is this big system that we deal with that source maps are just inherently complex and messy and so we get support questions about them and a lot of times i just really i either have no idea what to do or maybe like it'll take me like i'll work sometimes for like an hour or two like when you're gone josh and i'll maybe have some sort of very superficial understanding of maybe what's happening but it's still not really good enough it's just like it's rough because how do we like how do we handle like how do you deal with that because like it's the solution isn't for me to learn about source maps because that means everybody at the company has to know in detail everything that's happening at the company which is just unrealistic yeah i think it's in in those kinds of or in in those cases it's really about writing good documentation and building good support tools and then relying basically relying on those things to have the answers if that makes sense because one, one trap we've fallen into is kind of related to not trusting ourselves as far as like how, our, how we built the system or how the system works. So when even I like have like fall into this, like when someone comes in and like says they're having this, this issue and, you know, like source maps, JavaScript source maps, they're, they're probably one of the most complicated things to support that we have. But I kind of got into this habit of like assuming that there's something wrong that we did something wrong if someone's having an issue with it. And it's not, that's not usually the case from actual experience. Like a lot of times I'll go in and I'll have to like, even I have to go in and like dive into the code and like, and dive into like documentation on how the source map spec works and try to remember how all this stuff should work together. A lot of times, usually it comes back to like, you know, they, they didn't have like one thing configured right. And it just was, so it wasn't, it wasn't working or, or they didn't like follow something in our documentation. What I should have done is just trusted that the documentation was correct. I mean, if we if we wrote good documentation, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So what do you do when somebody comes to you and says, OK, this is broken, then you just kind of give them a link to the docs? What do you do, Ben? Yeah, the source maps is a, is a good one because that, that one does cause a lot of 
issues. And, and it's one that I was weak in because Josh, you built that. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's Josh's thing. But, you know, Josh goes on vacation from time to time. And so when that happens, you have to take, you know, pick up that ball. And the documentation that, that you've written, like over those experiences that you've had, those repeated times, we have a troubleshooting guide now that is a great starting point for someone who writes in about a problem. So, so to answer Star's question, yeah, I actually do. The first thing I do is I point someone to that doc and say, hey, did you go through all the things here? Thank you, Josh, for actually writing that because that's, that saves a lot of time. And, and sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes there is a f- additional follow-up and the person's like, yeah, I did read through that and I'm still having this problem. And so at that point, I do have to like find out what's going on. And, and I, I like what Josh is saying about like, we always assume that we're wrong. It's like, I guess it's our version of the imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> not that we don't know what we're doing, but that, oh, I guess we didn't do something quite right. And so we have to go fix it. But usually that's not the case, like you said. And uh, just over time, I've had to get more familiar with it. Just a couple weeks ago when you were on vacation, we had a request come in for source maps. I'm like, well, I can't really ask the person to wait a week when Josh gets home. I guess I better find out what's going on here. And that was really useful. Like, even though it did take me like a day or, or two, whatever, to find out, to dig into that code and find out what was going on, it was, it was useful. And I found a place to do a performance improvement. You know, it's like, oh, this maybe could work better, right, on our end. And uh, so wrote some code there. So for us, like having such a small company, the, the problem of information silos is, is addressable. It just takes some time, right? Maybe, maybe you do have to drop what you're doing and work on something else for a while that you weren't really planning on. Overall, I think that's a good thing, right? That helps with the, the, the bus number, right? The, and allows us to go on vacations. I think we're going to talk about some of the, the improvements we've been making to address some of these issues. But one of those is uh, around setting clear expectations. And I mean, we want to set clear expectations for what our customers are expecting out of support, but we also want, we need expectations too. As a developer, like we want to know like, Because obviously, like, we don't want to have to drop, like, you can't just, if you're in the middle of, like, a uh, a complicated project or something, you don't want to be, like, diving into another complicated project for the rest of the day and then have to try to go back and pick up the pieces. Like, that happening on a regular basis just isn't tenable. We need clear expectations of, like, what's expected of us in order to, uh, like, fulfill our customers' expectations of support. So... One of the things we can do is like we can we you know we don't have to respond immediately to answer the most complicated questions of our product. We can say it's okay to say like I'm you know I'm in the middle of something right now. I got your I got your uh, request. You know I take it seriously. I'm going to respond in two hours, or I'm going to respond first thing tomorrow morning, or something like that. Like it's okay to defer. Really, I mean you're just you know you're just like emailing with people, so you don't have to like drop everything necessarily and like address it right now. I think that's one of the benefits of having moved away from intercom's chat uh, setup, right? Like there is the expectation there that if you're if you see a chat window, you're going to get a response. And now that we don't have a chat window, now that it's a leave us a message window, then that expectation is already like, oh, okay, I will get a response and we tell them, oh, it's going to be in a few hours. And yeah, I'm totally cool with that. And I think that really helps people feel like, oh, they're not ignoring me even if it's going to take maybe a day, right, to get that problem actually fixed. I was just going to say, like, here's a, here's a thing that I think about occasionally, which is that we pay, how much do we pay? We pay like AWS at least six figures a year, right? And for a while, we were paying for additional support. And even when we we're doing that, 
people wouldn't get back to us with like developers ready to dive into super detailed problems within an hour. And we're providing this for people who are paying us, what, like 30, 40 bucks a month. And I think the expectation that Amazon has is that, as, you know, if their systems are working, then it's on the customer to, to sort of make it work, right? And, you know, they'll provide documentation and stuff like that. But we have kind of like defaulted to a different thing where it's like, you know, it's always on us to make it work. Even if, the, even if you know, we end up spending, if you spend eight hours, 10 hours a problem, 10 hours a problem, $200 an hour, we just spent $2,000 to solve your problem and you're paying us $500 a year. And we do that so a lot. I, I wonder about that. We do that a lot. And it's like, it feels good to do that sometimes, but then also, you know, it's since, you know, we're such a small team, it's like, ah, is this really, it's like, how, how tenable is this really? Well, and there's more, there's more efficient ways to address the problem too. If, if we're actually getting that many requests, there's requests that are, if we actually like support each of them fully is eating that much time. Like there's a, there's a larger problem, I would say. And two ways that we're trying to work to eliminate those problems is through creating like automated self-service tools or, uh, or improving the documentation and making it more um, discoverable, you know, like surfacing answers in our uh, support and documentation systems more efficiently or effectively. And I think there's, there's a lot we can do there still. So you guys kind of alluded to the fact that we've recently switched help systems. We're, we're trying out another one. I'm not sure we're 100% sticking with it forever, but we're giving it a shot. So yeah, so we switched to Help Scout, and could you d describe like a little bit of the reasoning behind that, like why you wanted to do that, and sort of what we've seen happen as a result? The reason, the actual reason I switched, we switched to Help Scout was that I wanted to try and experiment when I was trying to address this like the constant sense of urgency um, and support anxiety issue that I thought that chat was causing. At this point, I'm pretty sure that I was right. I wanted to try an experiment of just turning off chat and moving to email only. The problem, I think, as I recall with Intercom is that Intercom does not do email only very well. It's kind of built for like real-time chat first, it seems. Anyway, that's, that's kind of like what I remember. So basically, like, it was easier to set up, just set up Help Scout for this experiment to try moving to a more email-oriented system. Yeah, so Help Scout is like a more traditional help desk system where people can email us or maybe fill out a form online and then it goes into our uh, backend ticketing system and then we sort of respond to it. Yeah, it, and it has an in-app it has an in-app widget kind of like Intercom um called a beacon. Um they, they actually do chat now, so they're they're moving into some of those features, but I think the the fact that Help Scout has always like from the beginning it's been like it started out as like an, a very email-centric tool. That's still you know, shines through basically. So I kind of like the way that they've addressed the email versus chat problem a little bit better so far. Yeah, we really like having the UI in our application for someone to be able to submit a support request without having to depend on, you know, just opening up their email client, right? We, we like that, but we just don't like having chat. So I think that's, that's why you picked Help Scout because we have the best of both worlds in that case, right? Is the um, widget... Pretty lightweight. Do you have a sense of that? I'm just curious. I don't know if I'd call it lightweight. I don't know what they're. I don't know what they use to build it, but um, it's you know it's pretty much. It seems like most other JavaScript widgets. One thing that always bugged me about Intercom is that it loads basically a React app into your application, and 
that's just I'm just I'm just too old fashioned for that. I will venture a guess and say that the Help Scout Beacon is more it's lighter weight than intercoms because everything intercom does is like heavyweight, it seems. That's just Yeah, I think none of us are crying over the loss of having to use the intercom UI right. for all of our help support stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So the second I was gonna say the second reason that we that we just decided to try Help Scout was that Ben and I um and I and Star Two have been like we've been dying to not use intercom anymore for other reasons. So Ben, are we saving money? We are saving buckets of money. Are you kidding? Like how much, how much were we paying intercom? Like too much. Like it was thousands a month, something like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. An insane amount of money. I've never seen another SaaS company that just like squeezes blood from radishes the way that (laughs) that intercom does. But I was going to say, but Help Scout is a is a, a nicer user experience, in our opinion. Anyway, we're not you know we're not huge fans of the single page application model, and uh, Intercom went you know 100% that way, and it's just nicer to use Help Scout for me anyway. That's true, and like I wonder if um, having a having the default be sort of email or like a form submission might actually encourage people to write better tickets, you know, because like a chat window, it's like you're going to be like. Hey, what's up? Something's broken. I can't get to work. Peace. But with an email, you have to maybe compose something and you might actually include some details about something or, or all the details, assuming that you want your, you want an answer to come back. Yeah, you know, completely. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think Ben, you've, you've experienced that so far a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. We see better uh, response. We see better requests come in because people do take a little more time to write out the full description of what's going on rather than expecting this going to be an exchange of a chat, right? So we do get a bunch more information that allows us to actually see, oh, this could be the problem. And, you know, that helps our customers as well because, again, with that expectation that they have to deliver us a full message rather than it's going to be a chat. Like we've, we've seen times where people are like, Hi. And we respond and we're like, hey, do you have a problem? <laughs> and yeah, like six hours six later. Six hours later, right? And then they're like, you know, oh, yeah, so here's my problem, right? Whereas they could have, you know, given us the full thing right up front and we'd be like, oh, here's the solution. It's a little more formal. Yeah. Yeah. So that helps. The worst tickets, and this is how ha- this happens on email sometimes, is it's not just a chat thing, but the, the tickets where they ca- it's not a very well formed request it's it's just like i'm having a problem and then you start to kind of get into like a debugging troubleshooting conversation but the information just like slowly drips out in the conversation and and a lot of times like it's just off the top of the head so like you know it's not necessarily it's like oh the, well this is happening so this this must be the cause and so you go deep into that but then it turns out that oh well that was just it's not actually happening or you know it's you know, you just didn't see it correctly. Here's a question for things like that, for situations like that, like maybe we should have a template like um, open source projects have for submitting an issue where it's like, you know, what did you see? What did you expect to see? Um, what code did you write that did this thing? And you're just like, hey, I'm having a problem. Great. Fill this in and give it to us and we'll solve your problem. Oh, yeah, that's convinced. that's. Yeah. You're not no, convinced? I, no, because, not for everybody, I, but for some uh, people. I've seen, like, I've seen so many open source projects use those templates, like on GitHub, and like, here's your issue template. And so many people not following the template, and they just like, you know, delete all that junk, and I'm going to put in whatever I'm going to put in, you know? So I was like, uh, uh, no. 
I guess it requires like a good faith effort on the part of. So 2019 has taught me 2019, if it's taught me anything, it's taught me to not assume good faith. In, in anything on the part of anyone in the world ever <laughs> moving forward new policy default assuming <laughs> bad faith like unless you've unless i know that you're a nice person yeah yeah star star just the- star went on github and replaced all of our github issue templates with middle finger emojis <laughs> yeah the uh, the world is a terrible place <laughs> oh i don't know like i'm i'm kind of in between both of you though like i think that you know, even if it helps, you know, fifty percent of your, of people create better, like form better requests or better support responses. Yeah, that's like, true. I mean, it's it's probably helping more than it's hurting. It's not all or nothing. Yeah, there may be some people who just don't know what you want them to give you. You know, maybe maybe they just honestly don't know, so they're, they're looking to be guided. Right, but also like I think from like from our support process standpoint, one of the things that I am really trying to do is try to figure like try to identify those kinds of tickets earlier and and handle them better or guide the user better to the solution versus like kind of letting them lead the conversation wherever it may be going because again like you get into those like slow drip conversations that aren't necessarily like you're not even communicating as efficiently as you could be so you know so that's part of some of the process that we're trying to implement or work through is analyzing more of our like support tickets and actually like trying to make improvements to the process, trying to come up with ideas, like your idea with the, with the template, maybe that's something we could try, but basically like coming up with ideas, I'm calling them experiments where we kind of just try something out for a little while. If it helps, then we keep it. If it doesn't, then we try the next thing, the moving to email only, and then setting like more definite expectations of what people should expect from support was one experiment that I think, I think at this point, we can call that a success. And I would say that it's we're a winner. Yeah, I think it's a winner announcing it on yeah, the air. We'll have to get some like, we'll have to get some like, <laughs> a sound like effects for that. yeah. Yay. Um, so, yeah, so I think we're going to stick. I think we'll stick with, with help scout. I think Ben, I don't think I can drag Ben back to intercom, even, <laughs> even kicking and screamings. Yeah. And I don't want to try. So, well, so yeah, Ben's, Ben's the reason really that we can't go back to intercom. Well, the funny thing is, do you remember when we switched to intercom and what we switched away from? Yeah, we switched from Help Scout. We're like <laughs> yeah, complete Scout. full circle. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're back. It does feel like coming home in a sense. Like yeah. it's, yeah. you know, familiar. So I guess the, the lesson there is if you're running a SaaS and you have a customer churn, they might come back someday, right? Just keep doing what you're doing and building an <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah, product, be nice right? Them. Because, yeah. you know, Help Scout didn't really change, but we changed. We decided that we liked that better and we went back. I thought it was interesting that our needs actually did change because we... Like when we switched, we had, we had a legitimate reason to switch. We, we were trying to combine email and chat because we really wanted chat support so that we could like have better visibility and more informal conversations with our users. And Help Scout didn't do chat at the time. And we were like tired of trying to combine two things into one and Intercom solved that for us. And I remember we were like really happy about that switch. It worked really well. We were happy for years. But then our, you know, our needs changed back. Like now we can't handle the strain of like at our current level of customers, all of them chatting to us when we haven't grown our scaled our team. It hasn't been linear with the number of people we have on our team versus the number of customers we have. So it makes sense that we've gone back. I feel like we're kind of like a, uh, you know, like when we switched away, we're maybe like an 18 year old. We're like, whatever, old man, I don't need you in your email. That's for old people. I got my new chat system. That's what 
what cool people are doing. And then we go, you know, we live some life and we get beaten down and we see some reality. Then we come, come back and we just quietly start using email again. And then, you know, then the old man is just, he just, he looks and he, he knows, he notices, but he doesn't say anything because, you know, he doesn't have to. So you're saying that we're now the ultra mature 24 year old? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're ready to maybe start looking for a life partner, maybe start looking for some houses, some uh, stable careers. I don't know. In our next episode. Wait, what am I talking <laughs> What am I talking about? 24 year olds don't. I was like, it's things. probably like six years out for the 401k, but. <laughs> I didn't have a 401k until I was, uh, when did we start? <laughs> 35? I don't know. Um, I felt super guilty talking to my accountant about it when she asked. I really like what you said, Josh, about adding some formality back to the process. Formality means that, I don't know, formality, I I feel like is all about expectations. It's like, I'm going to treat you in this way that you expected to be treated. And then you know how, you you know what's coming so you can prepare for it. And like, it's just going to be more efficient, right? It's like a protocol in computers. Our help support protocol has been just send us some data and uh, we'll figure out what the protocol is on the fly every time. Uh, our, old, our old protocol was like UDP. Oh, I know, yeah. I know Ben will appreciate that, <laughs> that one. <laughs> Except you were always guaranteed to get a response back. Oh, that, right. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's don't, a good. Don't, don't, go, don't go saying that, Josh. I, that's, a, that's my best networking joke I've ever made. Uh, see, that, that reminds that me of really my good. favorite joke. I would tell you what? a UDP joke, but oh, you tell might me. not get it. <laughs> oh, boom. Love it. Boom. So what's next? What's up for, um, what, what's the next experiments? What's on, on deck? We've got the clear expectations. Like we have office hours now, um, which we kind of had before, but it's, it's more, I think it's a lot more agreed upon and clear. Like I'm trying, and I think like what, like nine to 9am to 3pm, I think is like, like Pacific is like our defined like support window where we're here active on it. If you uh, set email in after that, um, we actually have like an, a response that go, goes out that says, you know, we might reply like we still try to offer the same, high, you know, high level of support that we always have. It's just we try to do it in a way that doesn't that isn't killing us. So, yeah, so we might say like, you know, we'll we'll get back to you the next uh, in the morning or the next business day or whatever. But when we do, it's going to be like the most kick ass customer support that you've ever had by a real developer who understands you. We can kind of get the best of both worlds there. As for what's next is um, kind of just continuing to iterate on this experimental approach to, I guess, automation and documentation for, for support. So I want to I figure out how to make our support even better and make it even less dependent on like the silo, the information silos that we were talking about earlier. So that involves actually like looking at the customer support that we're doing on a regular basis and then making actually like making improvements gradually to to issues as they come up or coming up with uh you know like we said self-service type solutions making our documentation more clear i might like to try a uh, help scouts uh support beacon actually has a uh an answers feature where it lets you put documentation into the widget and it'll surface that information before someone would actually contact you so you know we might be able to actually like surface some of the most common answers or troubleshooting guides even up front, things like that. Basically like trying to figure out how to make support something that anyone in the company can like come into for a day or a week or something and do as a job versus like having to um, route everything to the right person, basically. That sounds really useful. So before we go, can I just like throw out one 
sort of out of the box um, lateral thinking idea at you. I think this could revolutionize our support. So you know how most of our support comes from um, people sort of just getting set up in the products for people who, who aren't sort of longtime um, customers. So we make Honey Badger a invitation only product. We make it exclusive. It's like a country club. So we only invite people we know are super competent and oh. like won't won't throw us any any support tickets. Sounds that sounds like a home run. We'll, we'll yeah, make an ex- like we'll this. make it an experiment though. So so in case it doesn't work out, we can always just revert it. I don't know. I think that there, you just can't put you can't put a value on exclusivity and on luxury, Josh. <laughs> like the feeling that you get from knowing that 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 just. Not anybody can sign up for for the air tracker that you use. So, so we're not selling an like air tracker anymore. We're selling a we're selling a feeling of exclusivity. Yeah, like maybe we could get P Diddy or something to to become a limited partner in the business. See, I, I don't I don't know that that's really on brand for the honey badger. You know, maybe maybe if our mascot was a giraffe, that would be more exclusive feeling. I, I don't know. I just you know, honey badgers exclusivity. Just honey badgers like- are breaking out. Yeah, of, they're more you know, like, right? you know, they're like democracy and like, yeah, everyone gets a, gets a piece of this pie, right? Every, you know, everyone gets a piece of the, uh, the honeycomb, <laughs> except no, sure. no, just the honey badger came from a rough neighborhood <laughs> and you're going to, you're going to hold that over him his whole life. He has worked and clawed his way out of that situation, Josh. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, he's going to enjoy you know the fruits of his labor. You know, he's not sharing that honeycomb either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think this one is going off the rails. So now we need to, I think we better wrap it up. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode of, of Founder Quest, go on your podcast thing and, you know, vote it up. Give us a, a positive review and everything. And uh, we will check y'all next week. Bye. Founder Quest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.